Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer. This is a bonus episode brought to you by our investigative platform Noteworthy, where we carry out journalistic projects based on ideas sent to us by the public. I'm Susan Daly, and this week we published the findings of an in-depth investigation by nature reporter Anthea Lakia into the extent that reed killers are used by councils across the country. We are also joined by James Walsh, who spoke at a joint Oireachtas committee over the summer about the use of herbicides in public places. Anthea and James, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. Now, we've all seen yellow grass in the summer after it has been sprayed, but there are actually a variety of different chemicals that come under that umbrella term of pesticides. Anthea, can you tell us more about them? Yes, that's right. So grass and other plants typically do go yellow a few days after certain weed killers are sprayed onto them. And pesticides are also called plant protection products. So you'll often see this acronym PPPs. And they include a variety of chemicals. Uh, They include herbicides, so the ones that kill plants, insecticides, which kill insects, fungicides, which kill uh, mushrooms, and then biological controls. And weed killer is an example of a herbicide. So each pesticide has one or more active ingredients. Um, And these ingredients have to be approved at EU level before they can be used and before they can be sold. And the main law regarding pesticides in the EU is a sustainable use of pesticides directive. And in Ireland, that's enacted by national law and the legislation is SI 155 2012. Uh, The Department of Agriculture would be the one responsible for all this. So the Pest Control and Registration Division are responsible for implementing the laws on pesticide use in Ireland. And there is one pesticide that has been in the news more than others, glyphosate, which is found in a brand that we would know called Roundup. Why is that chemical particularly controversial? So glyphosate has been the topic of very high profile court cases in the US, and this is because of its potential link to cancer, uh, in particular to non-Hodgkin lymphoma, a cancer of the lymphatic system. So the manufacturer of Roundup Bayer agreed to settle lawsuits to over 100,000 people. And the WHO's cancer arm in 2015 determined that glyphosate is probably carcinogenic to humans. Um, Not everyone is in agreement and the impacts of glyphosate on human health are disputed. So that's why it's so controversial. But recent studies do identify compelling links between high exposures to glyphosate and then the risk of developing cancer. Well, it's not surprising at all then that people have been encouraged to use fewer pesticides in recent years. In addition to the potential risk to human health, and there, what other impacts could it have? So it doesn't just impact um, humans or, or health potentially, but also the environment. So when pesticides are applied to a plant, say, uh, they don't just stay there, but they move. They spread and linger in the environment and they can linger for a long time. And they can contaminate water bodies as well. So there's potential for spreading into our waterways, our groundwater. When weed killer is sprayed, it can move through the soil and the water. And so it can affect other plants and other wildflowers. It can also affect insects and pollinators such as bees. And actually studies have found that pesticides linger in honey. So there have been residues found in honey. And recently glyphosate was found in 80% of 2,310 urine samples from adults and children in the US. 
So because of these impacts on, on human health and on the environment, many people in community groups, many scientists and many individuals are very concerned about their use, about the use of chemical weed killer in public areas such as schools and playgrounds. And so many people that we spoke to are calling for a ban on its use in these areas. That's very interesting, Anthea, and obviously they're calling for that ban in Ireland. And James, you are clearly passionate about this issue, having gathered over 5,000 signatures to ban herbicides in public areas. What prompted you, James, to focus on this issue? Um, well, I started noticing it some years back, but it was only after uh, the birth of my own son that uh, I could not... Um, stand looking at the sprayed curbs and grass areas in the neighborhood where uh, he's living, you know. You know, I was kind of having nightmares about it, you know, uh, of him having to go to like a play school or a school or even the park, you know, and the chance of uh, him coming into contact with pesticides. And uh, and I was thinking there must be like thousands of other parents uh, that have the same worry, you know, about uh, thinking where to go uh, to take their child and worrying about whether or not it's been sprayed with uh, herbicides, you know. Right. And of course, you've got 5,000 signatures, so you were not alone in your worry, James. And as Anthea yeah. was saying at the top of this, it appears that it could be sprayed, but it could be several days before you see the impacts of the spray. So if it's freshly sprayed, you don't necessarily know it when you're walking past with your child. That's a, a big problem uh, that I was trying to point out the whole time. When the council paints a bus stop, they always put a sign saying wet paint, you know. Uh, but with herbicide, which uh, needs a lot more uh, PPE protective clothing, uh, there's a lot more legislation around it and controversy. They don't even put up a sign to say whether they've sprayed. And it's invisible. Like the actual substance is invisible. Uh, and like you said there, it takes seven days, six or seven days before the grass starts turning orange or yellow. So you, so you don't know anymore what has been sprayed and what has not been sprayed. There's no warning signs, you know. So it's uh, that is particularly dangerous about the about it, yeah. The the invisibility of it. Great point, James. And yeah. Leah, we're talking about local authorities then and how they're using them, as James is pointing out there. That's what you investigated here. And what did you find? Yes, we asked all 31 councils in Ireland about what pesticides they're using and um, the amounts and the cost as well. So we asked for various records and at least 28 local authorities are still using chemical-based herbicides. Um, Roundup is still used by most of the local authorities in Ireland, so glyphosate. And our records show the last known year that glyphosate-based herbicides were purchased or used was 2022 for 19 councils, so this year. and um, 2021 for five councils and one in 2020, so very recent. Um, typical reasons that councils would have for spraying include uh, removing trip hazards from footpaths, removing weeds around sites, around infrastructure, visibility on roads, uh, junctions, controlling invasive species would be a big one, so Japanese knotweed, Himalayan balsam and giant hogweed for example. We also found out the amount spent by the councils on PPPs, pesticides, and this was highly variable. So it varied from between less than 1,000 euro um, a year to about 300,000 euro a year in the last five years This uh, we looked at. So we looked at from uh, 2017 to 2022. 
generally in the order of 5,000 to 20,000 euro a year was the amount spent. And we found that certain councils are implementing bans, so self-imposed bans on glyphosate. Um, and some councils are only using chemical-based herbicides for invasive species. A handful would be, would be doing this. So we also found that at least two councils, including Cork City Council and Dublin City Council, are only using pesticides to control invasive species. In 2017, South Dublin County Council introduced a partial ban on glyphosate-based herbicides in public parks, playgrounds and public gardens. This is incredible in a way that the councils themselves are starting to make self-imposed bans and there's still not a national kind of look at this. Or is there? I mean, more consistency in the approach by councils seems to be key. And James, there are laws and regulations in Ireland and the EU about the use of these chemicals, especially in public places. And you've looked into these in detail. Are they clear? Is the law clear? Uh, the law would be clear to anyone who reads, the, takes their time to read through it properly, you know. Um, it's just that I think most people have not come across it, and even people who do come across it don't read it through the whole way uh, in detail, you know. And I think that's the problem. Um, and like I said, the biggest problem is that most people don't even know that there is a law around pesticides. Uh, like through all the campaigning I've done, I've, I think I maybe came across one person, uh, one or two people that knew that there was a law you know what i mean but like it's not common knowledge like that there is a law around it you know so the law is clear if you read it yeah around that law that is clear but not enough people seem to know about it local authorities who you'd hope would know about it are they complying with the law so we found that um not all local authorities are keeping all the records required by the sustainable use of pesticides directive and when it comes to gathering data on pesticide usage, it's very it's done in a very inconsistent way by local authorities. So it's very difficult to compile data and compare it across local authorities. So within one council, you might have one district gathering data in one way, another district gathering data that maybe is not electronic or in a different format, and then other areas that are not gathering any data at all. So. We asked councils for their records, for risk assessments, uh, which need to be done before pesticides are used in public areas or in environmentally sensitive areas. And um, at least three of the councils didn't have risk assessment records and at least six did not have pesticide application records. And I say at least because some of the councils didn't respond. So um, there are various records that were missing and the reasons given by the councils include lack of resources um, and just being based on paper-based systems, record sheets, and not having the time, the resources to put all this together. It sounds like there is a need for a sort of a key leading directive on this. And James, as a result of your petition and your efforts, you spoke to the Joint Oireachtas Committee. Have you had any feedback from them since then about this issue? Well, I've been sending in documents, you know, as part of the meetings. Like there was three meetings now altogether. The first one was the presentation I did uh, in May. And then there was um, a meeting with the Department of Agriculture, the Pesticide Control Division. They had, I wasn't there, uh, which I responded to. And then there was a meeting with Wicklow County Council to see where councils are at at the moment, you know, in regards to the situation. As regard to feedback, there's not been any kind of feedback yet 
as such. But um, it's interesting to see where it's going. And I think uh, it looks good. Yeah, and I can add that as a result of your presentation, uh, the Joint Committee sent a questionnaire to all local authorities asking them about their use of chemical herbicides. And that was very helpful to our investigation because some of the answers were released to us through access to information on the environment request. So they informed our investigation as well. James, I know you're encouraged, you say there by, I suppose there is some response in a way. Um, what do you think would, would need to happen to make everything safer? Uh, well, actually, I think it's already happening. You know, the SUD, uh, as Antia was pointing out earlier, that was um, came out in 2009, the Sustainable Use Directive is being replaced. Uh, well, the proposal is out already by the European Union uh, Commission. Uh, it's been replaced by the SUR. So instead of a, it's called the Sustainable Use Directive now, 2022 or 2023, it's, um, it clearly states several times that all member states must uh, completely ban uh, pesticides in public areas and that there will be penalties and that it must be enforced. Uh, so it's very, very clear that it is going to happen uh, according to the proposal. Uh, it's, it's in the proposal phase at the moment. I just hope that uh, it will be uh, written into law properly you now uh, next year or whatever, you know, uh, and, and if it does, then, then the whole problem is uh, solved, really, you know. So uh, it's looking good. Uh, the, the solution is already there, really, you know. So uh, it's, it clearly states several times that um, all pesticides must be banned in public areas and within three metres as well of a public area. That's great, like, you know. It would be great. And as you say, it's it's a case of the solution is there, but it needs to be enforced. And then, Anthea, alternatives to pesticides. Are councils using that? I mean, are they on the road to that already? Because I suppose there'll still be a job to be done, some certain amount of maintenance. Yes, absolutely. And councils are very aware of a change in public attitude towards pesticides. And they mention this in various internal memos. And they especially are aware of the um, impacts of glyphosate or potential impacts. Many are considering banning glyphosate. Some are. Some are doing partial bans. And the alternatives that they are trialing include foam-based methods, hot water-based methods, or manual re weed removal. So some of the issues, some of the drawbacks that they mention uh, in connection to these alternatives would be the cost, which is high, and the frequency of the application in terms of labor as well. So they might have to go to an area uh, more often. And um, of course, there's some manual labor involved in some cases. So um, several councils are preparing pesticide policies as well, which include these alternatives and prioritize these alternatives. That's a positive note. Another positive note, James, you've noticed that sections of the road in beautiful County Cork have not been sprayed this year and there have been pleasant results. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the national roads and uh, and uh, secondary roads and stuff, primary roads, the, you know, um, are just being left kind of to grow and there's no pesticides being used. Uh, so that's great, you know, and it just goes to show that it is working, that it's possible. Uh, so that begs the question, you know, why are some councils still spraying some roads, you know what I mean? Like, it's unfair to the people living along the roads are still being sprayed, you know. If it works in one road if, or in loads of roads, then they should, should no longer do it in uh, other roads either, you know. I think every municipal district should uh, have a uniform approach, you know, rather than uh, letting it up to every council to decide for themselves, uh, seen as it's clearly working, you know. 
and you mentioned roads there and Thea councils aren't the only public bodies using pesticides as James says. That's right so pesticides are used along many of our national roads our motorways but also in settings such as forests um, by bodies such as Quilche. So we went to Transport Infrastructure Ireland and Quilche and we asked for pesticide usage records. What we found was that over 45,800 litres of pesticides have been used along Ireland's national road networks from 2017 to 2022. And we also found that Quilche used 16,094 litres or kilograms of pesticides across 2020 and 2021, including 9,388 litres of glyphosate. And they also had an annual spend of about 1.5 million euro on PPPs, pesticides. So not a lot is known about the use of pesticides outside of agriculture. And a lot of the councils that uh, we spoke to also mentioned that tidy towns would be the ones using pesticides and using a large proportion of the pesticides in their areas. We went to tidy towns um, through access to information on the environment requests and we asked them about their pesticide usage, about records, but they told us that they didn't hold any records on this. They do have a biodiversity strategy mentioning pollinators and wildflowers, but it seems as though they're not keeping records when it comes to pesticide usage. And as somebody from a, a proud tidy towns village in Tipperary, I know that there are very um, complicated forms that the judges use and perhaps we will see use of you know, pesticides or the lack of them and so on being one of the criteria in future that would be amazing to see. Uh, good for everybody who lives in the area, I'm sure. Is there anything to stop people themselves, individuals, gardens, any bit of old patch and there from buying quantities of products like Roundup in their local garden centre, say? No, unfortunately, there, there's nothing to stop people buying um, these products and using them in their own gardens. And um, we asked the Department of Agriculture about this and they told us there are no limits on the amount of amateur use products people can buy in shops. So products can be amateur use or they can be professional products. So there are several restrictions in place when it comes to professional products. Um, and these would apply to the shops and to um, the people selling the products as well. So in order to sell pesticides, any retailer needs to first apply to be included on a list of registered stores and all the distributors of pesticides. So wholesalers, retailers, suppliers need to train and register with the Department of Agriculture. All products also need to be approved. That would be on their label. Um, and anybody using a professional product needs to train and register uh, as a professional user so what we found was that the Department of Agriculture does about 30 inspections of pesticide users outside of agriculture each year. And this would include stores selling pesticides. And we asked um, the Department of Agriculture for copies of inspection reports. And what we found was that 92% of the 278 inspections carried out between 2017 and 2021 identified actions or issues with products sold, um, staff training, record keeping or registration requirements. So these inspection reports um, noted actions that the stores needed to take and issues that were there um, that needed to be addressed. 
look into the future then, guys, just to finish this out, it does remain to be seen if glyphosate will be approved by the EU for use in 2023. And Thea, what's the latest on that, on the use of it next year? Yes, so the European Commission in 2017 approved glyphosate until the 15th of December this year. So a decision was expected before December this year, but then it was delayed. So uh, there was a recent announcement by European agencies that they received an unprecedented number of comments during their consultation on this. So um, a decision is now expected in July, and we'll see whether it will be reapproved or not for use in the EU. But there are other changes as well, as James was mentioning. So on the 22nd of June, the European Commission announced a proposal that would set EU binding targets. So um, regulations to reduce the use of chemical pesticides by 50% by 2030. And these regulations also include a clear ban on all pesticides in sensitive areas. And they mention public parks, gardens, playgrounds, recreation or sports grounds, public paths and protected areas. So very, very clear. Absolutely. And James, I don't suppose I have to ask you what you make of these proposals. That sounds like what you'd like to see. It's absolutely brilliant. You know, it, it just means that it's a worry of people's minds, you know, and it makes place more attractive, more enjoyable, you know, a safer. It's, uh, it's the right thing to do. And I'm glad it's happening for everybody, you know, be brilliant for everybody, you know, to enjoy the environment a bit more and uh, makes it more beautiful as well. So, yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. Thanks, Anthea, for that amazing investigation. And thanks, James, for your massive efforts on all our behalf. As you say, what we'd be looking at is a safer, more attractive environment. And it looks very positive that that might be coming down the line. In the meantime, guys, uh, look in your sheds, see if you possibly have something like Roundup in there. Think about its use and beware the yellow patches, as we used to say, of snow. But we definitely need to be looking at them for grass. You have been listening to this bonus episode of The Explainer, brought to you by Noteworthy.ie. It was produced by Laura Byrne. If you want to learn more about our work at Noteworthy and how we source our stories from you, our readers and listeners, head to our site at Noteworthy.ie and sign up to our newsletter, which gives you an insider look at our latest investigations. Visit us at Noteworthy.ie forward slash newsletter. Thanks for having us and see you next time.